No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and again, joining me on the program this week is nobody. I am doing part two of my ongoing series on funerals, and this week we're going to be looking at the typical... Uh, general idea of an American Christian funeral. I want to start off with the simple and basic stuff here that I know with my own bias that I'm fully going to acknowledge uh, before I do deep dives into other cultures because I want to be as uh, reverent and respectful as possible, but I want to get comfortable with the kind of material and subject matter and how to shape this all. So start with what you know, expand out from there. Before I get into that, though, wanted to quickly say thank you for listening. I always appreciate it. It means the world that anybody would take time out of their busy day to listen to me talk about uh, basically just having an existential crisis over and over again, because that's (laughs) kind of micro and macro what this podcast is. Um, You know, it's certainly an investigation into how we process the notion of death and dying. Um, But a, a lot of it just comes down to me talking you know, at length about a subject that just fascinates me, um, not to, you know, cause alarm or concern from, uh, or morbidity, but, you know, this is something that is just, it's so antithetical to rumination. Um, you know, we just, we shy away from it naturally. I mean, that's like an evolutionary benefit to, to not want to look into death, I suppose, um, as like a threat avoidance. But, Thank you for listening is what I'm trying to say. Um, Additionally, if you've got questions, comments, feedback, um, helpful tips on where to find interesting info, send it to yourdead2 at gmail.com or send a message on Twitter or Instagram at yourdead2. Certainly wanting to hear from people and find out what they think of the podcast because I can only go off of so much, uh, you know, natural um, ambience from the internet. I have to make sure that I'm getting honest to goodness feedback and Happy to hear it. So uh, if you could, let friends and family know. I want to try to grow the podcast and see uh, who would be interested in hearing about this. I'm sure that there are interesting overlaps of people who would be interested in hearing about this but just haven't been exposed to it yet. Um, Or leave a review on iTunes or whatever service you're using to listen to this, the Google uh, Play Store or uh, if it's on Spotify, wherever you're hearing this, let me know. Uh, That's going to be a really good way to increase the the spread, you know, the – the audience and make sure that uh, I'm reaching people that want to hear this because I'm not doing this in any kind of uh, capacity to seek notoriety. I simply want to put this out there for people to find and if it's a benefit to them, I just want, like I've said selfishly, I've gotten things out of this personally for my own mental health and my own perspective on the world. If at the bare minimum, I can do that for anybody else, for one other person. I will consider this have been worth doing, basically. Uh, I just want to make the world a little bit of a better place for people, and this is something that I can – this is a rock that I can turn over, and I can look at these gross bugs and say, I'm okay looking at this stuff. Um, so maybe I can help people that way. But all of this is to say, if you know people that might be interested, tell them about the podcast. Uh, additionally, if you think they would be interested in talking with me, happy to talk with them. Um, so moving into what we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to be looking at, uh, the Americanized, uh, generally Christian funeral practice. Um, but before I get into that, I wanted to share a story. Well, 
I guess not really share a story, more so just something happened where I, I thought about this kind of in a new context. So in the process of getting ready for winter in Minnesota, um, yeah, that already starts in September. I mean, it's just a natural fact of life of <laughs> like, all right, summer's over, fall is here. That means winter is at most two months away. At the most, like if it's September, winter will be here by November. Um, there is an outside chance you could come earlier. I was a young person during the great blizzard of 92 and uh, definitely went trick-or-treating in the snow. Um, I remember my vampire cape dragging through the slush and thinking, this doesn't seem right. I'm wearing a jacket over my costume. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, winter comes early and hard, so that involves a lot of backloading to get ready on time. Part of that is... Um, as mosquito season kind of ebbs away here, which that's a whole nother thing for people not from the Midwest. I'm sorry, they're awful. I have to talk about mosquitoes for a second. Um, but as mosquitoes wind down, you know, there's the, I have this thing in the corner of my yard that acts as an attractor for the mosquitoes and bugs and things to kind of, it's like a, a trap, a bug trap that um, emits CO2 and then, um, has a UV light that attracts them as well. For the environmentalists listening, I'm very sorry. Uh, I can think of specific people who I am disappointing and offending by having uh, intentionally disturbed the flow of the course of nature and how uh, ecosystems arise. I know, I'm sorry, but I also have a family who are very affected by bug bites, and I want to mitigate that, and I'm being selfish in doing so. So I'm sorry for having done that, but uh, this thing fills up with bugs in a really gross way. And to, you know, you got to clear it out before it gets too full, which is I'm going to try to be as delicate as I can here. But um, as the summer winds down, I'm not having to change it as often. And as I get ready to put it away for fall, I've realized now that, I, you know, I unplug it, I disassemble it, and um, go to dump out the dead bugs that have accumulated in there. Um, again, I'm sorry this is gross, but I promise this has a point. Um you know, you have to take this little round tank and, or it's like a mesh. It's almost like a fish well. Um, if you've ever been fishing and have to keep live fish next to the boat, um, it's just this round cage that collects dead bugs. And I had to whack it against the garbage can to get them into the, you know, the landfill, um, yard waste bin. And I realized as the bugs amassed and, were dead and kind of decomposing, they uh, turned into a chuff or like a, a dusty dirt. And it was disgusting, but it also was kind of a, a peaceful, weird, gentle, gross reminder to the notion that you know, ash to ash, dust to dust, everything turns into that. Like it was a very quick, uh, condensed, time-lapse version of... Um, decay and how the ecosystem works at large that there's just kind of this gross pulp of uh, biological matter that turned into I'm sure you could grow some weird crap in that you know I don't know Ugh. anyway so point is I was struck by the profoundity of that while doing something so simple and mundane as changing the bug trap uh, from the yard that that's 
you know, you're dead too. Everything that happens to everything we are standing on. I mean, dirt is not just dirt. It's made up of things. There is biological matter in there that's, you know, it's, it has an essence that we are somehow interacting with, whether it's just, you know, the purely chemical plants, nitrogen, sunlight, water, oxygenation of, you know, the whole world around us, or if there's something spiritual happening with the fact that, you know, this gigantic ecosystem lived and is now providing dirt. So I just, it was really something that struck me about the universality of all of this. So, um, but enough about that. Let's jump into American Funerals. Let's put the fun back in funeral. I said at the top of the show, I am very aware of my own bias of uh, Western culture and having grown up in the Midwest in America and in the latter half of the 20th century, it gives me a very skewed specific um, lens through which I view all of this. And it's very admittedly, uh, you know, white, Christian, um, middle class, uh, both parents are still alive, married in the picture, um, fairly happy home life. I, you know, I didn't, uh, I haven't undergone some massive tragedy in my own life to uh, shape things in a way that would give me a unique perspective. I'm a pretty generic guy. I uh, just have a propensity for looking into this weird, morbid stuff. So I don't have the most uh, wide. Um, open wide arms, you know, view of death cultures and practices, just what I have actively sought out and wanted to learn about. So this is coming from a place of my own bias, you know, so I want to make sure that I'm uh, acknowledging that up front and just recognizing like that's the lens through which I'm viewing all of this. So I don't mean to be um, disrespectful to anybody's faith or practice or cultural norms. I just am trying to figure out what do we share? What what unites us across this? What helps us become more of a a global um, unity? Ah, it sounds so cornball, but I mean, it's truth. It's just, I just, I'm so curious about what unites all of this under one umbrella. So, like I said, looking at kind of the American Christian burial practice, um, there is going to be an inherent issue too with looking at this in looking at American practices, Europeans came over here starting in, well, depending on how much of an influence it was, there were some Vikings back in the like late 900s, early part of the turn of the century, turn of the millennium, actually. Um, but there's just this bias where they don't want to... <laughs> there's uh, not... not the, I'm speaking more from my own childhood experience in school where it was like this weird hush-hush thing of like, oh, but other people discovered America first. Yeah, I know. That's that's the whole point of what I'm making here is that Native Americans were here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before the uh, European settlers came over, kind of uh, ruined everything, basically, uh, built up everything and <laughs> polluted the land and uh, did all sorts of terrible things that I'm bummed out about. But that's this weird schism that I'm going to have to look at is um, I want to devote an entire different episode to Native American custom because part of the fact of what I'm looking at here involves the Europeans coming in here and asserting their uh, practice and process on land that 
A, not only wasn't theirs, but B, was occupied by people who don't recognize the concept of land ownership, that it's not a person's to own, that it is the land. It belongs to all of us. It is a shared thing. So um, how we got to here, I'm, you know, that's complicated and beyond my pay grade to go into, but what I want to do is look at what do we do with a body here in America when somebody dies and somebody's generally Christian. Um, so stay tuned for my examination of Native American Native American uh, death practices and uh, burial processes. That'll be further down the road when I've had more time to obviously polish and uh, research. <laughs> you say an American funeral, what comes to mind? Uh, one of the first things for me was... Like, what, what do you think of as American? Um, I think cars, guns, rock and roll, um, those are big stereotypical things. And uh, jazz, that'll come up. But when I, the first, I was like, okay, American funerals, what is this? I thought about, like, 21-gun salute. Uh, nope, not American. That dates back to the 17th century, possibly even earlier, back to the 14th century. It's an old naval tradition that involves expending ammunition. Uh, nope, nothing to do with firing guns into the air. Uh, not an American thing. I thought maybe the Winchester uh, family would have, you know, started something as a way to increase the brand awareness. Of, you know, no. Turns out 21-gun salute, much, much older than this country. Um, so what then would be American? Uh, Detroit. You know, with all the music in Motown and Motor City, you know, Detroit with cars, yes. Distinctly weird thing that I've picked up on in funeral practices is the American practice of getting in a car and going from a church to a burial site. Like the idea of the funeral procession of being in a parade that is so wild to me. That it's just so strange that that's part of our, that's how ingrained in this country cars are like it's there are so many other places in the world where cars do exist and are part of the daily life but you don't have to have a car to get around you know even living in uh super super urban cities like uh new york chicago uh people always say la isn't really designed for public transit but they have a great public transit network there in certain parts um you know, the more metropolitan an area gets, the more you can exist without your own individualized car. But living anywhere outside of that, you have to have a car. And this country is just built on this infrastructure of roads that we have. It's crazy to me that as part of the funeral practice, we have a whole funeral. And then we have the burial. But in between there is this point where you get into a car and you have somebody drive somewhere you're navigating you're piloting a vehicle that just seems so sacrosanct to what you've just done but i'm kind of no pun intended i swear i'm sorry i'm getting the cart ahead of the horse here um what practically what happens somebody dies we have a body it needs to be dealt with all right so let's step back and look at that we've got uh a person that is no more. Let's assume for the sake of uh, example here that this person is between the ages of 20 and 60. What do you do with this body? It has to go somewhere. You can't just throw it in the trash. Uh, that, As offensive as that is, that would lead to all sorts of health issues and um, uh, 
sanitary concerns, you know, having to deal with decomposition of the body and spreading of biological material. If somebody dies of an illness, you can't just have a body go to a dump. You know, you've got to do something with it. And humans, as respectful, reverent beings, I guess, we want to bury or inter our dead somehow. We have this compulsion, this this drive to put people to the earth or to uh, you know do do a ritual. <laughs> that's that's part of what defines us, I guess. I don't know. Um, but in America, generally. I'll get to the notion of why the age was of note there, but let's say we have then somebody who dies. What do we do as a culture at large? We have a funeral and then a burial. So we've got the funeral process, and sometimes that's preceded by a visitation. Um, That is something I'll address in just a moment, but we've got generally visitation, funeral, burial. Um, So the visitation, the funeral, the uh, burial. Again, speaking to the practicality of it, for this process generally, if it's acceptable to the person's religious um, predilections, embalming is practiced to mitigate and minimize the physical reminders of the failures of the flesh, shall we say, that because the body will quickly begin to decomp, um, you have to do something to prevent that or um, keep the body as integrally whole as possible while still slowing that process down. Uh, Typically, refrigeration helps, and then um, I'll do a whole separate episode on embalming and the joys of that uh, down the road. But at, at this high level overview at this point, Basically, it's the draining of bodily fluids and organs and then replacing them with preservatives and things that uh, slow down the decomposition process. Um, Once that is done, it's set up with the family of the deceased or, you know, the surviving people that care to have the visitation, the funeral, and the burial. So the visitation is typically done before and then allows people to literally visit you just come in you see the body and pay your respects you talk to the people that you need to and you go back about your day without having gone to an actual funeral and taking up as much time it's it's something that is not unlike with the motorcade it's just so quintessentially american it's like the fast food equivalent of the funeral you just go to the funeral home you pop in you see the family you see the body and you get back out to your day it just it's like the mcdonald's of the funeral process that is just so so american to me that does really stand out as something that okay we want it fast we want it efficient we want it now that like that is american to have visitation like that i know that it happens in other cultures but in the light of an american seeing this it just is so clearly yep that's that's something that we would adhere to in this culture i've been to many visitations i can tell you how uh kind of weird and isolated and removed they are from your day they're this carved out pocket of just you step into this alternate reality where yes there's a dead person there and we're all okay talking about it and then you step back out and it's like that didn't even happen um 
there are oftentimes uh, photo displays, like a collage of important moments in the person's life or nice photos of them or uh, some kind of display to honor them to have. Um, if they were in the military, you can display medals of them or, you know, things that are important to the people. If they were a fisher, you could have their fishing rod. You know, there's there's ways to make this personal for the, for the individual who's deceased, but that's also done during the funeral, which typically occurs within a week of the person having uh, passed away. Um, and after visitation, the funeral is generally... Uh, a 20 to 30 minute uh, service that record or it incorporates a religious element to it, uh, some kind of sacred text, um, generally a eulogy of some type where somebody speaks at length about the deceased or imparts some wisdom about the world as it is to those who are there in observance. Um, it's an interesting thing in that a funeral is not necessarily as established as a wedding, for example, or um, any other ceremony where you kind of have a thing that you do and say, and here is the moment of, like, now this couple is married as of now, you know, like a pinpoint in time of action. Whereas a funeral, it's more of this idea of just everybody get here, everybody be together, we're going to do a ritual together and then I'll talk about this person for a bit or maybe share a story about them and then we maybe sing a song like it's 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 interesting to see how unformed it can be without um being intentionally uh, neglectful of it or like disrespectful that you can just a funeral is whatever you want it to be it just so often takes place in or around a church that it oftentimes takes the shape of a religious ceremony which for better or for worse i mean it's just it's taking on the shape of that which holds it it's like water it fills the vessel a funeral is a, a very open thing which i just found very interesting in looking into all this that um from a christian perspective there's just you have readings and you have a few songs and you have uh, a priest or a pastor or a, a head of the church of some type speaking um you know, sharing relevant info from the religious text. Uh, and it's just, it's it's interesting to see how kind of, it doesn't have to be any particular thing. It just, it takes the shape of whatever, whatever faith of the people, people kind of not, you know, throw it, but funerals aren't for the dead necessarily, they're for the living. So that's this kind of reverse process of, you see the reactions of the people that survive. Um, previous guest on the podcast, Kevin, uh, he talked about, I think he was actually talking about Keanu Reeves when he was talking about what happens when we die. It's not that anything necessarily happens to us, but that whatever happens, the important thing is that the people who are still here will miss us very much. Meaning, not that it's important that people miss us, but that that is the observable effect of it it you know once we're gone we're gone but when when somebody dies it's it's not necessarily about the fact that they are no longer with us which certainly obviously yes that's a huge part of it it's more so how we perceive and react to that it's we everything we observe about it is secondhand in a way if that makes any sense and i'm getting kind of out into the weeds here um 
But we have a visitation, we have a funeral. At that point, generally, a burial takes place. Uh, again, depending on faith and practices, can be delayed for any number of reasons. Um, particularly, uh, Minnesotan problem is if somebody passes away between, you know, December and May, in some cases, the ground might still be frozen, and you can't actually bury them. Um, there are uh, ways around this. Bodies can be held uh, at the funeral home for a certain number of time in, um, you know, there. Uh, again, I, I need to do more research to get into exact practices for uh, practicalities of a dead body and what the funereal practices are, but um, frankly, the ground is just frozen here sometimes, and you can't dig into it to bury somebody, so that often leads to cremation or other options, but oftentimes, the burial is very closely associated with the funeral. So what happens at the burial? You have everyone gather for the funeral, and then the funeral occurs, and they leave. They get in their cars if they have to. Um, I have been to one or two funerals in my life where uh, the interment happens actually at the site of the church. There is a um, mausoleum or a graveyard, a cemetery, sorry, um, immediately adjacent that they were able to do that in, which I feel lucky or privileged to have you know seen and participated in that because it's a, a unique occurrence, um, one that I don't think necessarily would happen as often these days. But um, if that's not the case, you have to get in a car and go somewhere. And there are just so many, like, once the ball is loose, you know, once once you've left the 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 actual place the funeral takes place, there's just so many more variables introduced, you know, like, who gets in what car? You go with the people you came with, right? I mean, but you have to, like, group up, you know? Some people rent limos for accommodating larger groups of people. Like, there are so many strange little things about a, a motor, you know, uh, funeral procession um music in the car do you listen to something what if you you know you'd have to have a conversation of like well this person loved this kind of music should we listen to this music or should we talk about this or like do you ride in silence what there's just so many variables introduced in this by introducing this element of getting in a car it's just bizarre but generally they have flashing lights or you put your hazards on uh, to indicate to the police, you can have a police escort depending on the uh, size of the crowd or the procession or the location. If the you know traffic is of a concern where you're going to be disrupting traffic, you put your day, you know, your running lights on during the day to indicate something is up essentially. Um, so it's just there's all these other elements to it. But once you arrive at the place to do the interment, the burial, you oftentimes have, again, the same religious figure, the priest, the pastor, whoever it may be, minister, um, conduct a small ceremony at the site of interment, which has been generally opened up in advance. You don't want, um, it's considered in poor taste to have people um, observing the act of digging a grave. There's something um, crude or... Um, 
debasing about seeing the hole being dug, you know, so it's already been um, excavated and prepared, so there's a skirting around the grave to cover the raw edges of the earth, and the um, casket is loaded out from um, the vehicle from the funeral home. It's not a, it generally is a hearse, but it doesn't necessarily take that form these days. It's more of an SUV. Um, but I do want to do a whole episode just about hearses, um, including, obviously, the most famous example of the Ecto-1. But at the uh, burial site, you can have a small ceremony there, and, you know, I've been to a number of elderly people who have been uh, buried and had the military honors done of, you know, playing taps at the funeral, or um, at the burial site. And people have a last chance to say goodbye, and... Uh, the body is lowered. So it's... That tends to be the end there. Um, oftentimes for, you know, comfort, for gathering for people, there'll be some kind of um, luncheon or, you know, um, back at the church, typically, they'll have... Um, coffee and whatever or you know something basic to just kind of give people some nourishment some sustenance um other times people will say please just everybody gather at so-and-so's house so we can all sit together as kind of awake i mean that's it, it really it it's such a strange phenomenon in that it, it takes kind of whatever shape it fills again it just if you're very communal people it can mean large gatherings of people and just continued observance and um, cooking and talking and sharing stories. And, uh, you know, Irish tradition is to have more of a celebration of life and have drinks and be uh, vibrant and positive and just really live with, you know, capital L. But it's just, it's, it's all up to the experience of the person who survives. Um, you know, looking back at other American elements, one of the most cited things is jazz as an American export. Um, and New Orleans is noted for their jazz funeral elements where you'll have a big marching band, of, you know, brass and woodwind instruments of, uh, playing a funeral dirge and having a, a walking procession to the burial site where they'll, where they'll play uh, sadder music. And as soon as the funeral is actually completed and the body is uh, at the burial site, they switch to really vibrant, really raucous, upbeat jazz music to kind of flip the morning on its head and celebrate life and be this positive source of uh, crazy energy. But it's particular to that region of America. Um, additionally, looking at Virginia, for example, it's still a very stiff, formalized process on certain parts of the East Coast. Um, Virginia was something that came up looking at different practices because it's much more uh, mannered and kind of following in the British tradition of uh, funeral carts and uh, procession being pulled by horse and um a much more formal process. So it's just really interesting to see all of these different variations come out as as I look into this stuff. So, and you know, looking at 
how all of this stuff has kind of grown out of our, you know, what used to be more of a, well, it still is a melting pot. It just depends how glib I'm feeling. But this country has only existed for, you know, 200 some years, but, well, going on three now. That's crazy that I'm getting that old. But, you know, again, acknowledging the notion that we stole this land from a much more, um, what do you call it when somebody's stasis, you know, stasis with the environment? Uh, Native American people were much more um, in the, uh, man, I'm blanking on all this language. You know, they're at one with the environment a bit more, that they were uh, in harmonious relationship with it. I'm dying for whatever word that was, I can't remember. Um, you know, note, recognizing that we've come in here and pushed them aside and pushed them down, uh, what have, you know, developed as a funeral practice for the last several hundred years and looking at cars and how they came in. Funeral processions had been pulled by hand and then by horse. And as the invention of combustion engines took off, uh, that slowly, I mean, it was cost prohibitive at first, and so it was not a common thing. But as cars became prevalent and, you know, motor carriages were more and more common, that started to be the way to adapt. And it really, it's not as though this came up out of nowhere suddenly in the 70s or the 40s. Pretty much as soon as cars were a common concept, you had the arrival of the, you know, the motorized hearse that would, that would be involved in this. So it's just, it evolved congruently with American technology and capitalism that there is the car, there is the hearse, that just an interesting outgrowth of it. So I know that this has been kind of a meandering examination of American Christian-ish uh, funeral practices, but I just, I wanted to do this as a uh, first investigatory attempt into, all right, what do our funeral practices look like? And I wanted to start with something more comfortable. So I know that this has been kind of a, you know, a bit more casual and kind of flowing through my thought process here, but this is kind of, you know, the introduction to it so I could find a comfortable place to start from and we'll continue pressing on into this. Um, but send me your feedback. Let me know what you think, uh, what I should cover, what I've missed, what what don't I know, what do you want people to know about? That's I want to hear more from people. So thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.